Acts chapter 19. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 11 through 17. Uh, just to start out this morning, I, I want you to think with me about what is your favorite tool? What is your favorite tool? Now, there are all kinds of different tools, right? Uh, so be open to all different kinds of tools. What, if you go to get a tool, what's your favorite tool? What's the one you, you go to the most? Um, and, and so just kind of keep that in the back of your mind as we read this morning's scripture lesson. We started two weeks ago uh, in the book of Acts, and we've been hopping through the book of Acts. We looked uh, the first week at the beginning of the church, uh, and then we saw the transformation of, pa- of Paul or Saul to the apostle Paul. And this morning we see Paul in Ephesus, and in verse 11. We read, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, who went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. May God add God's blessing to the reading and hearing of this God's most holy word. Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. What, what's your favorite tool? Now, there, there are places like, you know, you, in the kitchen. What's your favorite tool in the kitchen? Anybody have a favorite tool in the kitchen? A jackhammer. A jackhammer in the kitchen. <clears throat> okay. I'm so glad you're back, Kenny. <laughs> you don't know how much we missed you. <laughs> uh, anyone else have a... Uh, yes, Roscoe. Can the can opener. Yes. All right, we know what Roscoe is. What's your favorite? The butter knife. Yes, butter is good. The coffee maker, yeah, well, I see a lot of heads nodding now. Yeah, okay, so now we're getting into this a little bit. Uh, when, when it comes to the garage, what's your favorite tool in the garage? The saw, okay. Anyone else, what's your favorite tool? The floor jack, yes. What was that? <laughs> Lori said Jason. <laughs> Her favorite tool in the garage was Jason. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's where she likes it. No. <laughs> Dave, what's your favorite tool? The air hose. Yeah, because that gives you all kinds of opportunities. Yeah, I like that. Good. Um, well, this morning we're, we're going to talk about God's uh, favorite tool. And, and you may be surprised, um, but I believe that God's favorite tool is you. 
just as Lori's favorite tool is Jason, um, God's favorite tool is you. Now, the Apostle Paul finds himself in Ephesus, and, and you need to know a little bit about Ephesus. Ephesus was a major city. Ephesus was the third largest city in Asia Minor when uh, the, Paul, Paul visited um, Ephesus. And, and it was a modern city. It, it, had, it had aqueducts. Oh, this, by the way, is the, the theater in Ephesus that, that still stands. It it held 25,000 people. This was a huge place. And uh, in Paul's time, there were many plays that were going on there. Uh, later on, the gladiators would fight uh, in, this, in this amphitheater. Um, but originally, it was set up for plays and performances. 25,000, it was a huge city. As a matter of fact, some scholars say there were between 33 and 53,000 people living in Ephesus at the time Paul visited. Um, it, it had uh, the Temple of Artemis, uh, which, uh, as you will read later, um, because I know you're reading through Acts as we jump, jump through, uh, you'll read, or if you haven't read, I encourage you to read. Um, you'll discover that uh, the, the people of the city of Ephesus considered um, the, the goddess Artemis as their, their protector. Um, and, and the other thing that was really neat about Ephesus is that they were really into tools. As a matter of fact, they had the greatest aqueduct system of the time. They pulled water from the ocean in all the way to every part of the city. Every part had water. Um, just an incredible system, water system. We, we think our water systems are, are awesome. The, these are people who understood how to do it simply with gravity. Um, and they made beautiful aqueducts. Uh, just an incredible place. Paul steps into this setting, this place, this modern city where there's all kinds of opportunities and, and all kinds of things being used and developed and people had all kinds of ideas. And Paul steps into this setting and God begins to use Paul in an incredible way because Paul was a tool of God. Now, um, I, I was thinking a lot about tools, and I, I thought about all these different tools, and of course, a lot of people today use a computer. You know, when, when I was a kid, if you had a question, you went to the library, and you looked in the encyclopedia. Uh, today, most young people have no idea what an encyclopedia is, because if you want to find out an answer, where do you go? You Google it. It's a whole different world. That's a different tool. They use that tool. Now, this week, I had an opportunity to play golf. First time I've played in probably six, seven years. Rob Lewis and I went out and played, um, and I won't tell you what I shot, but um, I hadn't even touched a club in probably seven years, six, seven years, whatever it was. Um, and I have this club that is my favorite club. It's my three wood, and I'll use it almost anywhere. And, and it, it's incredible. Now, you have to understand, this is a special club because one day I was, I was playing golf, and I landed behind a pine tree that was about oh, a little more than knee high. I don't usually play on the fairway. That's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> I like a challenge. 
I, I like a challenge. So anyway, I'm behind this little tree, and I'm saying to myself, hey, that tree is pretty small, and certainly I can just chip this ball around the tree and, and not worry about, and I can stop my club before I hit the tree. So I pulled out my three wood, which at that point was not my favorite club, but I thought, well, this is a good one to kind of chip it. And I swung it, and I hit that tree, and I wrapped that, that uh, club so that there's this arc in the shaft. And I thought, oh, no, I ruined the club. But the next hole, I was like halfway down. the. I was actually on the fairway that time. And I thought, oh, what the heck? So I pulled out this three wood. Now, you have to understand, when I hit the ball, it always slices big time. And I hit with that three wood, and it was a straight shot. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. It's the perfect design. I'm telling you, God is an awesome God. <laughs> now, now, that three wood has become my favorite club. It has faced many difficult shots, and the one even hurt it some, but when it hurt it, it resulted in a better shot for me. And I began to think about God using us as tools. And I know sometimes uh, you face some difficult things in life. You know, I had to play that countdown timer because... um, she sings, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. And did you hear when she talked about the mountain that was in front of her and how that mountain was thrown into the midst of the sea? Did you hear that? That's so powerful. That comes right out of Scripture. The Scripture says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved into the sea, and it will be thrown into the sea. The difficult times, the struggles in our lives, we often see as times that we wish we had never faced. And and that may be very true, but what I've discovered is even through those, it's as if God has swung us right around that stinking little pine tree and made us so much more effective for His kingdom. Paul later wrote in Ephesians For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you're facing a struggle today, I just want you to know, God hasn't forgotten you. But in in the midst of that struggle, God is beginning to form you in a new way, to transform you into a more effective instrument of his work you remember uh, last week when we saw god transform paul god says to ananias who who went to see paul and and to heal paul of the blindness that he had received he said to ananias this man is my do you remember that my chosen instrument he said this was paul the guy who was going around killing people And God had in mind that this person was His chosen instrument. God has chosen you. God wants to use you. Now obviously, in order to be used, you have to be willing to be used. And that all begins with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
You see, too often we want God to use us when we want God to use us. Rather than being willing to be used by God throughout our lives. Let me give you an example. You see, on Sunday, I love for God to use me. Because I'm amongst the people of God, and it's a great opportunity to celebrate His love. And I love to be used by God. But you see, on Monday, it's my day off. So, when I run into someone at Walmart, which I always do, don't you? I can't go to Walmart without finding somebody I know. And, and when I run into them and they have a struggle, my first response is, sorry, my day off. No, no that's not my first response. But... But there's that part of us, right? That Hey, I did my God thing on Sunday. But if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it doesn't just happen one day a week. That's like saying I want to be married one day a week and the rest of the week I want to do whatever I want to do. That's not the way it works. When you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, He's involved in your life every day of the week, not just on Sunday. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have that relationship with Him, if you've never asked Him to come into your life and move in you, you don't understand what I'm saying. And I I beg you to do that this morning. That you would open your life to Him. Because He wants to use you in a powerful way. He's got a purpose for your life. He wants to transform your life to to not just a day-in, day-out thing, but to an everyday experience of Him working in and through you. And it's an incredible life. But you've got to be willing to be used. I didn't plan on saying any of that. But it's really where we've got to start. Now, if you're interested in being used of God, there are some things that I think can help you be open to Him and recognize Him in your life. And the first thing I want you to see is that God uses ordinary objects. Did you notice that? By the way, God can use anything He wants, right? Uh, we, we frequently limit God. Well, God can't use that person because they, they're a horrible, ugly, nasty person. Hey, God can use anybody God wants. <laughs> you want to start limiting God, we need to talk. But God likes to use ordinary things. That's what excites me the most. He likes to use ordinary things to do extraordinary things. Now look at this morning's passage. Paul did incredible things, or God did incredible things through Paul using what? Snot rags and, oh, I'm sorry. I should say that nicer. Handkerchiefs. And so I I gave you a nice, pretty picture of a handkerchief. But what's a handkerchief for? You put it in your pocket and you use your sleeve, right, Kenny? <clears throat> no. The handkerchief is used. I mean, it's a common, ordinary, everyday item that we use for things. That, but God then begins to use that ordinary, everyday item for something that's extraordinary. He takes the apron. Now, uh, Paul, this is probably not the one Paul wore, uh, but Paul was. Paul was a carpenter, and he would wear an apron to, to kind of protect his clothes while he was cutting wood. You know, there's a lot of sawdust and all that, and, and he wanted to protect his clothes, so he would wear an apron. But God would use that apron, you understand, 
And, and, and some people say, well, you know, hey, what I need to do is just touch a lot of uh, handkerchiefs and aprons and hand them out. And as a matter of fact, I saw on the, on the TV a number of years ago, uh, a guy was doing that, and you could buy them. And he'd send them to you, and then you'd be healed. Now, that's not what this passage is about, folks. It's not about the item. The item only shows us that God uses everyday, ordinary things, including everyday, ordinary people like you and like me. The incredible thing is that God decided to use Paul to make a difference in other people's lives. And God has decided to use us. Look at verse 11 with me again. In verse 11 it says, God did what? Extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons. God did extraordinary things through ordinary things. He made ordinary things. He transformed ordinary things to be used in extraordinary ways to change people's lives. That's what God wants to do through us. He wants to use ordinary people like you and I to make a difference in other people's lives so that they could come to know the incredible love and miraculous transformation that God does in people's lives. And you can say to me, well, I don't have any gifts. You know, I'm I'm just not real gifted. I, I don't buy it because God wants to use you. And if God wants to use you, you can be broken. You can be bent. By the way, the head of my three wood is broken. I'm, I'm kind of worried that someday it's going to fly right off. But even in its brokenness, I am able to use it to make an incredible shot. God, in the same way, can use you in your brokenness to transform other people's lives. The emphasis isn't on the handkerchief and the apron, nor is it on Paul. It's on the extraordinary things that God is doing through these ordinary things like you and like me. And it's incredible. There was a guy, a centurion, who had a, a servant who was sick. And he goes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, my, my servant is ill. And Jesus says, well, take me to him. And this, the centurion says this. It's really amazing. He says, no, you, you don't have to come. He said, I have people under authority, uh, under my authority, and I, I tell them to go here, and they go here, and go there, and they go there. He says, all you have to do is say the word. And Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed. You have believed it would. Did you catch that? See, the key to God working in you as an ordinary person is to believe that God can really do it. You say, well, I believe. Do you believe when that person comes to you with a problem that you have no clue how to answer? Do you then believe that God can still use you? Do you believe when the situation in your life gets so difficult that you don't, you're not sure where, you, where to turn and, and you're really questioning in your heart whether God is really caring about you at all. Do you believe that God can still use you in that moment? I believe He can. And if you'd open your heart and say, okay, God, I don't get it, and I'm not with it all the way, but I believe, and I just want to see you work. He'll begin to work in your life. 
if you continually look at your shortcomings and say, well, I can't do this and I can't do that, my guess is you won't see God at work in your life. If instead you say, I can't do this and I can't do that, but I know God can, and you trust Him, you may begin to see Him do incredible things in your life. Uh, I'm sorry, incredible, not incredible, extraordinary. Using an ordinary person like you. You see, when God wants to use you, He wants to do more than ordinary in your life. More than ordinary in your life. Second of all, I want you to see that if you want to be used of God, it's important that you're real. We don't talk about this very much, but the truth is you've got to be real. You've got to be transparent. It's uncomfortable as all get out. I don't know about you, but I hate being transparent. I, I, I like you to see me in my good outfit and in my best. But the truth is, I'm not always in my good outfit, and I'm not always at my best. I was, I was the other, just this last week, uh, I don't remember where I was, but of course I had my blue jeans on and my t-shirt, and my, I'd been working, and so I was sweaty, and I had my hat on, and I'm talking to this person, and all of a sudden they said, oh, you're Pastor Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, been Pastor Dave the whole time, <clears throat> but I didn't have my Pastor Dave suit on. Uh, so <clears throat> they didn't recognize me. Um, and, and what's nice is they recognized me because as we talked, I was still the same person. You see, too often we put on masks and we put on uh, our... We put on who we want people to think we are. Instead of being real. And folks, the world knows. The world knows when you're trying to play a game. Did you notice what happened? The demons, they didn't have any problem figuring out that these Jews who were going around trying to cast out demons didn't have a clue who Jesus was. Even though the demons knew who He was, these Jews really didn't understand who He was. And they knew, they had heard about Paul, not that they thought all that much about Paul. Did you catch that? I think that's interesting. Not that they thought Paul was all that hot stuff, but they knew about him. The ones they didn't know about were these Jews who were going around trying to cast out demons because, you see, they had no power in and of themselves. And they were trying to be something they couldn't be. If you want to be used by God, you got to be you. You can't be somebody else. You can't try to imitate someone else. you got to be you. you got to be who God created you to be. But you got to be authentic in that. Not necessarily perfect. And it becomes very clear. And what you do in the dark is going to come to light. And God, is, Jesus is going to look at you and He's going to judge you based on your heart. He knows your motives. So you can't play the game with Jesus. So when He wants to use you, He wants to use you as He created you. Not in this messed up place you've put yourself. He wants to take away these things that have have led you astray, away from His plan. He wants to bring, bring you back into the light. And you think you can get away with all these things that you do at home that nobody else knows. Well, He knows. And He knows your heart. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. 
He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose, listen, the motives of the heart. You've got to be real. Where's your heart? Now, some people use this as an excuse. Uh, I'm going to be authentic, and this is who I am, and I'm going to do what I want because that's who I am. That's not who you are. God created you to do what He wants, not what you want. If you want to be authentic, you have to be in His will. You have to follow Him. You have to put your trust in Him. Then you become authentic. Then you become who you really are. In the 60s, people were going around trying to find themselves. I don't hear that so much anymore, but I always thought that was funny. You want to find yourself, put yourself in the middle of God's will, and He'll show you exactly who you are and who He created you to be. Perfect and awesome. Authentic. You don't have to be perfect. You have to be authentic. You have to be real to be used by God. You know, and, and that takes, of course, a transformation, doesn't it? Because we have, we have made ourselves these ugly caterpillars. And God wants to transform us into that which He created us to be originally. And here's the key. Okay? You want to be transformed? You want to be different than you are now? You want to be all that God wants you to be? Then this morning, begin to change the way you... This is, this is going to surprise you. Begin to change the way you think. We often think that transformation begins with the heart. But let me tell you, in Romans we are told that transformation begins with the mind. What Romans says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind. In other, in other words, begin to think differently. And this is how you begin to think differently. You begin to think like Jesus thought. And you can't do that if you don't know what Jesus was thinking. The neat thing is God gave us what He was thinking in His Word. That's why it's so important to stay in His Word. So that you know what He's thinking. So that when you face a struggle in your life, you know what He's thinking. When someone comes to you with a need, you have a clue of what He's thinking. Because then He can use you in powerful ways. You see, it's more than ordinary, and it's being real. And then finally, real quickly, um, because of what God was doing through ordinary Paul, listen carefully, because of what God was doing through ordinary Paul, people began to fear the Lord. The Greeks and the Jews began to fear the Lord. Now, I want to talk about the fear of the Lord a little bit because I believe that we have a distorted idea of what it is to be afraid of the Lord. Um, I I, I was looking for images for that, and and the images I got was lightning. You know, and, and hey, it's a great image when, you know, someone's hurt you. All right, God. You remember the disciples in, when they were walking around with Jesus and the one town refused to let Jesus in? And they were all about it. Hey, shall we call down fire? That's what they said. Shall we call down fire? On, I'm like, I'm with you, buddy. Let's call the fire, man. <laughs> but Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not who he is. You see, Jesus isn't about you being terrified of him. He is the Almighty God. Don't get me wrong. 
But when he talks about fearing him, he's not talking about terror. He's talking about honor and respect. You see, what Jesus is looking for is you to respect him, to honor his name. And I guess for me this is very important because um, a lot of times we want people to fear us and that we want them to, we think if they're afraid of us then we have some control over them. But the truth of the matter is all that does is create chaos and you can see it in our world. We see it every day it seems like now in our world. And we should be praying, by the way, for the people of France. What an incredible disaster. And, and, and the, the, the focus there is for uh, the, the people who do these things want you to be afraid. They think somehow they have power over you if you're afraid. That's not the way Jesus operates. Jesus wants you to respect him, to honor him. Because when you begin to respect and honor him, then you begin to put yourself in a place where he can use you in the most powerful way. It's not about fear. <clears throat> and it's all about knowing who Jesus is in your life. Uh, this Last week we had a deacon's meeting. We had all the, the um, baptismal candidates there. It's always, to me, an exciting time. And... Uh, <clears throat> One of the deacons shared his testimony, and when he got done, uh, Mark asked him, okay, so who is Jesus to you? Just to, to clarify that, to put that question out there. And, and of course, the answer is simple, right? Who is Jesus to you? Well, he's my Lord and Savior. Well, then, of course, for every candidate, uh, when they got done, the question was, well, who is Jesus to you? And guess what? No, they did, for the most part. Uh, for the most part, they may have used different words. One person said, well, he's my hero. I thought that was wonderful. Yes. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's the one that I bow to. He's the one that I give my life for. Who is Jesus to you? Is he someone you fear, you walk around afraid that Jesus is going to be angry at you because you made this move or you made that move or you said this, oh, I didn't mean to say that. And What if God's going to hurt me for that? Or God's going to be upset with me because I, I wasn't perfect today. Or That's not what God's looking for. Can you imagine if your children were that way? <laughs> that's not what you want. You want your children to go out and try things and test things and move and grow. And yes, you want to protect them and you want them to do it within a certain parameters. But, but even if they go outside of the parameters, you don't stop loving them. They should never be afraid that you're going to give up on them. No. And why should they obey you? Because if they don't, you're going to smack them? I hope not. I hope they obey you because they respect you. And they honor you. Because they've learned that you're worthy of respect and honor. Because you've lived a life that shows them that you love them no matter what. That's the way Jesus loves us. 
So when the Apostle Paul wrote to Philippians, the church in Philippi, I think this is interesting um, because he says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Now I'm with Paul, 100%. I want to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. Don't you want to know that? Wouldn't that be great if that power was in your life? I'm, I'm always reminded of Lazarus. You know, uh, I don't know if you read the scriptures real carefully, you understand that after Lazarus is raised from the dead, uh, the, the, the Jewish council decided they were going to kill not just Jesus, but Lazarus as well. Now I want you to think about that a minute. Lazarus had died, and he was put in the tomb, and he rose again. He was alive. Jesus called him out of the tomb. And now they're threatening to kill him. Can you imagine what that threat did to Lazarus? Bring it on. Been there, done that. I got the t-shirt to show it. You're not going to scare me with death. I've been there, been through that. Hey, it's not all that bad. I was in the tomb. I'm out of the tomb. Hey, look at that. Come on, bring it on. You see, when you know the power of God in your life, the things you fear begin to fall away because you put your trust in the one you can honor and respect and you know will get you through. And so you put your trust in Him. And when you put your trust in Him, you no longer have to fear. The Scripture says there is a perfect love casts out fear. You don't have to be afraid. You say, they said I have cancer. You say, bring it on. They say I'm going to die. Bring it on. I love it when doctors, no, I hate it actually when doctors tell you when you're going to die. By the way, if anybody, doctor tells you when you're going to die, tell them they don't have a clue that you, you follow the Lord Jesus and Jesus can heal people at any moment so you might live a lot longer than they ever think. Or Jesus may decide to take you home before they ever thought you were going to die. It's not up to them. It's up to your Lord and Savior. The truth of the matter is we're all going to die, Right? The question is whether you're going to die once or whether you're going to die twice. Because you see, those who believe in Jesus Christ, their body dies, but they're given eternal life. We call it resurrection. Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's exciting stuff. Death is not an end, but a beginning, a step into eternity. Those who have faith when they die, they're all excited because they're going to Jesus. It's we who are left that find it difficult. They're ready. Those who don't have faith when they die, they, we call it die a second time. Because you see, they have a chance to experience the fullness of life and to be with Jesus and to know the peace and the goodness But if they don't accept him when they live in this life, then in the next life they die again. In other words, they're separated from God. We call it hell. That's an easy name, but it's worse than that. It's a place where there's no love, no hope, no peace, no joy. And that's the choice we make here. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I'm all all about that. But did you catch the second part? And participate in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, I'm all about the power of the resurrection. It's the suffering part I'm not big into. I don't know about you, but uh, if you like the suffering part, raise your hand. No, don't. (laughs) I'm not about the suffering part. 
But this is what I've discovered. When God begins to use me, when God begins to use you, it doesn't mean that you no longer face suffering. It means that in the midst of the suffering, you begin to understand the love that God has for others and for you more than you ever knew. Because you see, in the midst of the suffering, as you come to someone who's suffering and you begin to share with them the love and the hope of Jesus, all of a sudden you realize how much Jesus really does love. In the midst of the suffering, when when you come alongside others who are hurting, you begin to realize how much God, first of all, has blessed you. I'm amazed. The people who went to Nicaragua, they came back. What's what's the first thing they say? I can't believe those people have nothing, and they still are filled with joy. Why is that? Because they know that even in the midst of suffering, there is a God who loves them. When we come alongside people who are hurting, and we hold them, and we call upon the name of Jesus, and we experience the love and peace of Jesus. It will change us, not just them. And we'll begin to understand how much Jesus loved us when He died on the cross for us. Who is Jesus? Is He someone you respect? Do you understand that He has offered you the gift of eternal life and the gift of an opportunity to be used in a powerful way in this world? Are you ready to be used? Are you ready to allow Him to use ordinary you, ordinary me? Are you ready to allow Him to use transparent you, transparent me? Are you ready to grab hold of His power, His love, to be used by Him to change the world. Broken, bent, but effective for the kingdom of God. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank You for our time together today. and Thank You for Your Word to us. Thank You that You want to use us. Uh, forgive us, Lord, when we're too busy um, with our own stuff that we don't allow You to step in and use us. Remind us, Lord Jesus, that when trials come, You will continue to work in our lives. And not only that, as a result of those trials, You will continue to use us in powerful ways. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You took us, ordinary as we are, and stepped into our lives and began to transform other lives. You gave us purpose and reason. You you began to work, and, and Lord, help us to see Your hand at work and, and not look for our own agenda, but look for Yours. Lord, there are some here this morning that You're calling to full-time ministry, and they've been holding back for whatever reason. Just pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that You'd open their hearts and that they'd finally say yes. Lord, there are others that You want to use with neighbors and friends that for, for whatever reason have backed off this last week. And so this, this coming week, Lord, I just pray that they would step out in faith and be willing to be used by You. Lord Jesus, we pray that uh, You would help us to be transparent, to be what You've created us to be, um, and not to try to be someone else. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would take hold of the power that You have, that as we honor You, others would be led to honor and follow You. 
Lord, we pray for those this morning who don't have that relationship with you. They've never started that. We pray this morning that they would open their hearts and say yes to you and begin to follow you and experience the life transformation you've, you've given to us. And we'll give you the praise as we worship you this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.